I have been uh, studying uh, the Torah, which I've come to learn in Hebrew means instruction. Uh, but I've been studying this for over the past year and a quarter. And uh, strangely and unexpectedly, it has renewed my soul. And I say strangely because I, I think as Christians, we think of ourselves as post-law, um, which a large part of the Torah addressed. And so how and why would it renew my soul? But it did. And, and while I'm at it, I guess, uh, what does it mean to renew my soul? And perhaps I can answer both questions quickly so we can get into the main section of my talk. But we have to remember that the law is perfect. Jesus said so, and he is the fulfillment of the law. But I think looking at the, the law in such depth over a period of time, for me, revealed his character and his nature in a way that I hadn't seen before. Or perhaps it reminded me, a God, our God, from the moment of creation, has been pursuing us humans with such zeal and jealousy and love uh, that it just melts any pretense of self-importance and pride. The creator of the universe who's holding everything together is so loyal to us and desperately wants us to draw near and trust him to listen to him and his wisdom and fulfill his command to love him and his neighbor. It's just overwhelming. So the Torah story, the story of humanity's failure to trust God over and over, and God's pursuit of us, which culminates in life, a pursuit to us culminating in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of his son. Uh, this study, which I've been doing, uh, is through um, the Bible Project app. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's like going through a seminary-level course. I'll just commend it to you to, to check it out for yourself. Uh, the material that I'm presenting is, is from that. I'm, I'm, uh, I enjoy uh, studying it, and I share it with you and trust that it will bless you as it's blessed me. Uh, sometimes God testifies, I think, to the greatness of his own word, uh, that it's worth it just to meditate on it. And so I'm, let's consider uh, first uh, Deuteronomy 4, 5 to 8. And we're going to be in uh, Deuteronomy 1 to 11. I, uh, I realized um, that when, we, uh, uh, when Justin was preaching this morning, and he was... Uh, preaching on I think like four verses, and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm talking about eleven chapters. Uh, there's there's a stark contrast there, but hopefully it'll uh, it'll bless you. Um, but I'm going to start with Deuteronomy four five to eight um, because God testifies to the greatness of His own word. It says, see. I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, this is Moses talking, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, 
Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? God's word promises divine wisdom and understanding that leads to right living, right relationships, and a true life. And to what end? Well, he tells us right there. So that all, all peoples, all nations, would know the unsurpassing love of our God and that, peoples, and that all peoples may know him and love him and serve him and love their neighbor. I think that sounds pretty great, don't you? So, uh, like I said, we're going to be talking uh, and looking at Deuteronomy uh, 1 through 11 uh, today, and we're going to be doing a word study. We're going to follow a couple words and trace those words uh, through this section so we can get a deeper understanding of of, uh, God's character and nature and look into the face of God. You'll remember, just to provide some context, you'll remember that this is the second giving of the law by Moses. The context has changed for the Israelites. Uh, They're changing from a nomadic nation needing laws to a nation that is about to inherit the land promised to Abraham. The context is different because the only people left from the Exodus generation are Caleb and Joshua. Everyone else is dead. Some of the laws that Moses presents are verbatim, cut, copy, and paste uh, from their previous iteration. Uh, And some are adapted uh, for Israel's new reality as a nation living in cities that they did not build, caring for land, and changing from a nomadic's people to several agricultural communities. But Deuteronomy at bottom is a series of sermons given by Moses as his swan song, as Israel sits on the eastern bank of the Jordan River to cross over to the promised land. It's his retelling of the laws. The other point I want to make before we dive in is about the structure uh, of the Bible. We believe uh, that the Bible is a set of unified stories, all pointing to Jesus. We often think of people who lived long ago as kind of less intelligent than we are, a sort of temporal prejudice, if you will. We have so much more information, it seems, available to us, and we know so much more uh, than those silly people from the Bronze Age, right? Uh, But really, nothing could be further from the truth. Um, Bronze Age people, uh, like the Israelites, knew way more than we do about the things that they needed to know. And like like forging with tools, and agricultural, and weaving, and hunting, and cutting stone blocks and building things. And so the quality of the information is different, but the intelligence is not. And this intelligence can be seen in the writing styles of the biblical writers and the literary structure of the Bible itself. And I think this is the thing that really uh, struck me in in my study over the past year, is uh, just how beautiful and how complex uh, and what uh, intelligence is revealed Uh, in the structure of uh, the Torah, and uh, really the whole Bible. 
The writers used repetition of language and ideas in the different scrolls to point the reader to the ideas that they wanted to emphasize. It's like the writers used melodies to help the reader recall what they had read before or to signal an important concept. So you just think of Star Wars, right? And John, John Williams. Um, and you've got, uh, you'll, you'll hear a certain lilt of music. It'll be in the background. And you know he's talking about the Force, right? And I, I went on Apple Music to, to find the Force music. I was going to try and play it for you because you'd all know it. It's a very, uh, but it tells you that they're going to be talking or the Force is playing a part right there. It's a character in, in a series. And it's the same. Like So when I pulled it up, they have theme music for every one of those movies. And it's the same. That... They carry that through, all the way through. It's the same in in uh, in the Torah. He he uh, weaves these ideas, and uh, it could be things like trees and mountains, and words and stuff, and they're like melodies. They come back and forth to remind you of the things that have been said in previous scrolls. And point you forward to Jesus, and it's really, uh, it's really amazing. It's a, there, there really is a genius behind this writing style. So uh, I, I want to now. I'm going to get to it. Okay. So so now I, I want to do a word study of two words that are repeated 35 times and 12 times respectively, and in Hebrew they are Shema and Ahav. Okay. Shema is translated as to listen or hear. Uh, sometimes obey, uh, and ahav is translated as love. So we're going to be talking about listening and love. The reason these two words appear so much in this section of Deuteronomy is because listening and loving are so deeply connected. And I think this is one of the things that really struck me, because I don't think I'm a very good listener. And, uh, and listening with the idea of loving someone, validating them, and showing that they're valued by understanding what they're saying. It's, it's amazing. So it's been said we have two ears and one mouth, and so we should spend twice as much time listening as talking, right? And um, if you know me at all, you know that uh, I'm heavily involved in Boy Scouts. That's how John Wilson and I have known each other, and I've been in Boy Scouts over uh, 25 years, I think, and... Um, uh, so I couldn't do a talk without quoting the founder of the Boy Scouts, Robert Baden-Powell, who said, If you make listening and observation your occupation, you will gain much more than you can by talk. So let's see what we can gain by listening and observing what God has to say, us, say to us in these passages. So if you can turn, uh, turn to, um, we're going to start at Deuteronomy chapter 1. And verses 16 uh, to 17. Uh, and it says, And I charged your judges at that time, Hear the cases, or shema the cases between your brothers, and judge righteously between a man and his brother, or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall shema the small and the great alike. Um, 
I'm just going to stop there for a second. Uh, some of you know that I'm an attorney. I practice law for over 30 years. And I can tell you that those words right there about partiality are found in every jury instruction that is given to this day. It's, it's, uh, there's just a strong, very strong connection in the law that was given by God and the law that we have in our books today. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And then, I'm sorry, I meant to add in verse 18, and I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. So the Hebrew word shema can be translated as hear in this verse. Specifically, it's about hearing a case so well that the hearer truly understands what is happening. This listener pays close attention uh, to both sides of a dispute and forms impartial responses based on truth rather than showing favoritism based on social status. Deuteronomy 1, 16 and 18 offers a short narrative about Moses appointing these judges and the authors repeat the word Shema or listen or hear three times. And when the authors concentrate repetitions like this, they underscore the main point. Here we read about effect, that effective listening is about, one, carefully paying attention to one's interlocutor, two, using wise discernment before responding, and three, following through with active, right responses. Hearing involves understanding and acting. Hearing involves understanding and acting. So Deuteronomy, going to down just a little bit to Deuteronomy 1 and 43, verse 43. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptively, presumptuously went up into the hill country to fight against the enemy after they refused to go up and fight. So what does Yahweh mean here, right? That the people simply weren't paying attention or that they could not hear. He says, I spoke to you, but you would not listen, which suggests human choice or will was involved. It's not that they could not or did not. It's that they would not listen. And hypothetically, if Israel had listened, as Yahweh meant for them to do, they would not have rebelled against him or acted with presumption. Therefore, listening has to be about accepting the instructions of God and then trusting God's understanding of reality more than our own presumptions. Simply stated, listening to God and actively trusting God are two aspects of the same way of life. We all need to trust better, don't we? Right? Not, we have two trees before us, right? God sets before us the tree of, of eternal life and the tree of doing what's right in our own eyes and how often do we not trust him right it starts with listening uh, according to god's word going down just a couple more verses in deuteronomy 1 and 45 uh, and you returned and wept before the lord but the lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you throughout the hebrew bible and new testament listening often describes a human activity but not always Tracing, tracing the listen pattern helps us see several scenarios where Yahweh is the listener and sometimes stops listening to people. 
Typically, God responds to the cries of his people by acting on their behalf. But sometimes, when his people stop listening to him, he stops listening to them. And I, I've had my, uh, my son and daughter-in-law and three children living with us for the past uh, two weeks. They had lead abatement going on in their house. And watching uh, the parenting of these three, five, three, and one-year-olds in line with the, <laughs> these, it became very stark that uh, God is a good, a good father um, and he wants us to listen but sometimes he communicates a lot by not responding. And uh, and that's what's happening here. So listening and trusting are, are two sides of the same coin uh, called choosing to act. In other words, neither listening nor trusting can happen without acting. And when the author says Yahweh did not listen, the point is not whether God could hear the pleas of his people. He obviously could. But in love and wisdom, he warned them about what would happen and did not intervene. So whoever the listener is, not listening means not responding. Okay, we're going to jump a few chapters to Deuteronomy 4 and 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen, or Shema, to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So these instructions from Moses are not personal opinions or perspectives. They are divine directives that present Israel with the choice between living and dying, and the concept of listening expands here. Listening means inheriting the land, and listening means living. And living in the land of their inheritance will require listening. All the ideas exist in parallel, and the story contrasts the previous stories of Israel and Moses. Their failure to trust and listen ended in their inability uh, to enter the promised land. When Israel enters the promised land, listening to the statutes and the ordinances will be the same as enjoying life and living close to Yahweh, just like Adam and Eve. Anybody, let me stop there and just see if you got any reactions to these passages. Is anything striking you? Jesus says the same thing. That, uh, yeah. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Right. Yeah. So, to formalizically say, look at that. If you don't love me, you don't obey me. That's right. Yeah, and there's and obeying implies action, right? One of the words that keeps coming up over and over in these in these verses is and do them. Do what I say. And it's uh, it's like that DC Talk song from the 1990s, you know, love is a verb. It's an action verb and you got to do it, right? So, yeah. Anything else? All right, let's continue on. Deuteronomy 4 and 30. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey, or shema, his voice. 
Through Moses, God tells Israel that it will become a listening people. They did not listen in the past, but they will listen in the future once they've walked through a tremendous season of suffering. This hope will become a lifeline during Israel's time of deep suffering. However brutal things get, the people can trust that God is leading them and making them into a living, listening people. And becoming listeners who are tuned to Yahweh means becoming people who really live. As the author states uh, in verse 31, Yahweh promises never to abandon or destroy them because he will not break his covenant promises. And he has promised them that all he is doing is intended to restore them into fully alive human beings. If we go down to uh, verse 37 of chapter 4, And because he loved Ahav, your fathers, and choosing their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his presence, his own presence, by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today, and lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above, and on the earth beneath there is no other. So this is the first mention of love, in Deuteronomy, um, and it describes a feeling, but also speaks to actions and choices. Right, the Hebrew verb ahav can be translated as to love, and we will start seeing the author connect it tightly to shema, which means hear or listen. So Moses reminds everyone that Yahweh's decision to set Israel free from slavery was a choice to ahav or love them and their ancestors. Yahweh's destruction of Pharaoh's evil empires was not only to demonstrate divine superiority or challenge oppressive rules. Yahweh's love compelled him to rescue his people. And Moses says, Moses says the same love is driving God now. And notice the action of love. Yahweh's desire to ahav is about keeping the promises he made when establishing a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To ahav or love, is not merely about having warm affections or passive experiences of emotion. Real ahav, real love, is an action. And in this case, God's love becomes tangible activity as he makes good on his promises to Israel and its ancestors. We can trust and rest in these promises, can't we? All right, moving down to chapter 5 and verse 1. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Here Moses gives the Ten Commandments again, this time to the children of the Exodus generation. And hear, O Israel, or Shema, O Israel, he says, addressing these people the same way, He addressed the previous generation who first received the commands. Notice how today becomes an emphasis point. Today is the day that they are hearing his voice. So today is the day to Shema, to listen. That means that this is not what we should have, could have, or would have done previously. This isn't about waiting until a safer or better time in the future when listening might be easier. This is about now. Moses says to Israel, listen in this moment today. 
And God says to meditate on his word daily. Meditate it on the morning and in the, in the evening. Put it on your doorposts and your lentils. Meditate on it all the time. And when you realize, when he says today, what he's saying is, is that don't let the, the past frustrations, the past failures stop you, to put you on a downward spiral. Listen today. Start anew. Today is a new day. Today is the day to listen and obey to God's commands. So if we're tracing this pattern so far, we've read that listening leads to living, and both are about love. If Moses is reminding them that today is the day to listen, we can glean from the phrase that he's talking about a moment-to-moment way of life, just like we talked about. He appears to be teaching them that choosing the way of Yahweh is possible. So listen to him and love him. He's not asking too much of us. Unlike their parents' mistakes from yesterday, the people can keep and do what he instructs today. All right, down, moving down uh, to uh, in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. This reads, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Loving and listening fuse together even more in this verse, offering a good example of the way pattern tracing helps readers more fully understand biblical writers. Notice how the author says Yahweh's loving kindness, which is um, chesed, um, will pour out on human beings who love or have God and keep his commands. It does not overtly say that such chesed gets poured out on those who listen well, but consider the way Deuteronomy's authors have been repeating and connecting listen so far in the pattern. When Moses says... Israel failed to keep God's commands. He also says they were refusing to listen. Not keeping commands means not listening. Here, when it says God pours his loving kindness out on those who keep his commands, we see the authors drawing both ideas into one. People who keep God's commands are also people who listen. And listening to God is inseparably part of experiencing his generous loving kindness. Furthermore, people who are listening and keeping are also actively loving God. Three aspects of one way of life. The reciprocal nature of the relationship with God becomes clearer here. To receive loving kindness from God, one will also have to have him. This is how grace works. One party giving to another so that the receiving party reciprocates gifts of gratefulness and love. And it becomes the foundation of John's teaching of grace in the New Testament. We love him because he first loved us, right? 1 John 4.19. And that's a beautiful thing to look at. All right, Deuteronomy 5.23. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me. 
all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And we see listening closely connected to keeping God's command, doing them, obeying them. This link gives insight into another dimension of listening, and that is relational proximity. God wants us to draw near to him. Moses recalls Yahweh's voice from the fire cloud that appeared on Mount Sinai. Upon hearing his voice, the people experienced terror, and they assume that if God doesn't, they will die. That's when God establishes Moses as a middleman, a mediator between God and humans, who can draw near to his voice. And then Moses speaks God's words to the people, offering them a chance to listen and have life. Uh, we're going to go to the Shema, uh, which is Deuteronomy 6.4. This is the verse that pious people will repeat in the morning, uh, in the midday, and in the, uh, in the evening. Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall ahav the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Listening without loving is impossible, and loving without listening doesn't work. The authors will continue tying these ideas together into one way of life, the way of love-motivated listening. The way of love-motivated listening. The opening word, Shema, is a command to listen. Hear, O Israel. And the major instruction in this passage is to love God. People are reciting God's will for them, which is that they would be formed into the people who love Yahweh with every part of their lives. And later, when Jesus is questioned about the greatest commandment, he repeats this prayer and then adds the instruction to love one's neighbor with the same kind of love. Loving and listening are central to the entire law and work of God. All right, uh, Deuteronomy 7, 9. Knowing, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. The Israelites are peering over the Jordan River at their promised land that their parents refused to enter or were not allowed to enter because of their disobedience. Moses is trying to encourage them, not by promising a triumphant military uh, victory uh, over their enemies, but with a bold call to remember God's steadfast love. Keeping, keep on loving Yahweh, Moses says, and Yahweh is going to keep on loving us, as he's been doing all along. Here the authors again emphasize the reciprocal nature of human and divine love. Those who love God will simultaneously experience God loving them. This does not mean a person's love for God makes him love them back. The story has shown him consistently loving humanity. Instead, it suggests that a human's ability to know and experience God's love will be directly related to the way they choose to love God in return. And because those who love God also listen to him, they are keeping his commands. Keeping is part of loving, loving is keeping, 
and both are part of listening. Okay, we can jump down to uh, chapter 8 and verse 20. It reads, Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. The Garden of Eden story does not include the nomadic tribes and carved idols that we read about in Deuteronomy, but it does present a choice or a test similar to the one that Israel faces here. In Eden, two humans face two choices offered by two voices, one from God and the other from a snake. The people must either trust God and follow his command or disregard God and ignore his command. Here in the wilderness, Israel also faces two choices presented by two voices, one from God through his command and the other from the Canaanites. Notice how the story maps the snake of the garden and the Canaanites onto one another. It's that melody again. Just as the snake was already inhabiting the garden, here the Canaanites are already inhabiting the promised land. And the authors are making the connection for the readers. They're saying this big scene is like the smaller opening scene. The decision humanity faces is the same. And it's the same thing that we have to do every single day. In the garden, Yahweh said, you shall perish if you disregard my instruction. And similarly, Moses says to Israel, you shall perish if you disregard God's commands to not serve other gods. What reason does he give? Give, Because you, Israel, would not listen or shema to the voice of the Lord your God. Though ages have passed since the garden story, the essential choice has remained the same. Listening to God and keeping his commandments is the way to life. Ignoring God by listening to the voice that opposes him is the way to death. All right, we're going to uh, jump to uh, chapter 10 and verse 12. And that reads, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So remember when Moses smashed the Ten Commandment tablets on Mount Sinai? This scene, God replaces that artifact by rewriting those same commandments on a new pair of tablets and not with a begrudging bitterness. Instead, the author tells us that this is about Yahweh's endless, unrestrained love for them. In Deuteronomy 10.10, uh, we see that Yahweh is listening to the people, and we've already seen the authors tie the idea of listening to the idea of love. In Deuteronomy 10.15, we read that God, quote, sets his affection and love, end quote, upon Israel. In this context, where God consistently loves Israel, Moses, Moses is reminding Israel to love God back. Revere him by walking in his way of life, Moses says, and love him while you do. This means serving Yahweh with all that you are. Notice that Yahweh is not requiring them to sacrifice children or to honor him with a treasure house full of war spoils as many neighboring gods would. 
His requirements expand on the requirement to ahav or to love. Like we saw in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, God is forming them not into a people who merely obey him, but into a people who want to obey him, which means people who truly love him. Yahweh desires Israel's love. And then moving down to uh, verse 15 uh, of chapter 10, it reads, Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offsprings after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. In context, this beautiful encouragement also brings formidable changes, challenges. God is speaking through Moses to remind Israel about his love for Israel's ancestors. On your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them. He is saying, I love you because I loved them, not because you've proven to be particularly obedient. So far in Deuteronomy, the authors have been reminding readers about Israel's rebellion in the wilderness, the golden calf, and many more moments of rebellion and complaints. And what's the point? This love is not because of Israel's actions or obedience. They are a stiff-necked people, as, as we are as well. Yahweh's love for his people is purer and deeper. In Deuteronomy 7.7, 7, we learn that God's choice to love Israel was not related to their popularity or power. He simply says that he loves them because he made them a promise to their forefathers, and he made that promise because he loves them. Therefore, this willingness to love, ahav, cannot mean earned love or conditional love. This work, this the work of loving kindness, loyalty to a group of people who do not seem to embrace him. God's will to love without condition appears to be rooted in his inherent goodness and character. Notice all of this divine love toward human beings become the fundamental reason for listening to him. Verse 16 of chapter 10 concludes the idea by suggesting that there's no good reason to tune out God or to stiffen your necks against him any longer. His love motivates human listening, and listening to God forms true human beings into people who love him back and love others as he does. We know this is true. Uh, okay, we're at the final chapter here in uh, chapter 11, verse 1. And that reads, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep, his ch and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. Two strong verbs here, to love and to keep, build the foundation for what the authors describe as a reasonable response to God's love. Because of his immense love for you, you come alive when you love him back and keep his commands, which means Israel should actively respond by listening to him. In other words, people love God because he first loved them, and truly loving him includes obeying him. Notice how loving is synonymous with keeping, and the overall context of Deuteronomy's first movement, both are synonymous with listening. Yahweh is not commanding Israel to manufacture a warm, affectionate feeling. He is inviting the people into truthful reflection and wise, active response. In uh, verses uh, 26 and 28, reads, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse, the blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. 
and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. In these verses, Yahweh gives people two choices, one leading to blessing and the other to curse. And as we had seen before, Adam and Eve faced the same decision, and they chose poorly. Notice how uh, the choice is not between listening and not listening and not listening. If the choice is not between listening and not listening, no matter what, human beings are listening to and following some kind of voice. If you're not listening to me, Yahweh says, you'll be listening to other gods. God is asking the people to trust him as they face another Jordan River crossing, and this time into unknown territory. Trust me when I teach you how to live, God is saying. Not the voices of fake authorities, rulers, or gods that promise other ways to find safety and well-being. Those other voices ultimately bring death. Trust me by listening to me, and you will ultimately find blessing of real life. Pray with me. Gracious God, your word is perfect and we can trust it to deliver us to true life with and near you. Incline our hearts to trust and obey you this day with joyful hearts that people might look at us and say, what a righteous and just God they must follow. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.